0: From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. On February 16th, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled in a case granting a frozen embryo fetal personhood. That is, they gave an embryo rights consistent with a person living in the United States. If that sounds bananas, it's because it kind of is. While this marks the first time a frozen embryo was granted personhood, it's not the first time that we've seen anti-abortion lawmakers elevate and amplify this idea of so-called fetal personhood in an attempt to strip rights away from people who can become pregnant and people who already are pregnant. Now, this decision out of Alabama, while it's contained to the state, is making waves across the country for what it means for Alabamians, yes, but also for what it can mean for the future of reproductive rights in the United States more broadly. Joining me to discuss is Allison Molman, the legal director of the ACLU of Alabama. Allison, welcome to At Liberty, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, Allison, just a little over a week ago on February 16th, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled in this case granting a frozen embryo fetal personhood. Take us back to this ruling and this case. So many of us have seen the headlines, but first things first, how are you all holding up?
1: Yeah, it's been a really challenging week in Alabama. Um, The Alabama Supreme Court's opinion really created a lot of uncertainty in the state for families and even for attorneys, where um, it's hard to know the full impact of this opinion and also to figure out the solutions for it. But it's something that we've been really working on closely at the ACLU of Alabama with our community partners.
0: Yeah. Could you, at a high level, just tell us at first what we need to know about the ruling in Alabama?
1: Yes. So um, back in 2018, the legislature passed a bill that put it to the voters to vote on a constitutional amendment about what the sanctity of unborn life in the state is. So that constitutional amendment was passed after that bill in 2018. And so this ruling from the Alabama Supreme Court is a direct consequence of this constitutional amendment that we passed here about five years ago. Although this case had to do with a wrongful death statute in civil litigation, it has consequences beyond that. It has consequences for our criminal code um, because it all gets at what the definition of an unborn child is under Alabama law.
0: Thank you for that. I think it's helpful to just even understand where this is coming from. Because as I mentioned, a lot of us have seen the headlines, but to even know where it originated. So now I want to understand more about what's been happening since the decision. We've seen in the immediate aftermath, a variety of hospital systems in Alabama pause their patients in vitro fertilization treatments or their IVF treatments. IVF, we know, is a critical way for people to have children and to build their families, particularly queer and disabled people. It's only been a matter of days, but what has happened in Alabama since the decision?
1: Since this decision, we have seen outrage from both political parties. So the Alabama Supreme Court, um, their decision effectively has shut down IVF. And although we have seen some conservative groups coming forward saying that, you know, Steve Marshall, our attorney general, has said that he's not going to prosecute people, that hasn't been enough for the clinics. And um, in large reason, because there's our law has set forth now that unborn children include extra uterine fetuses. Aside from the fact that um, families now can't get IVF services from their providers, um, we've also been receiving information that the transportation companies that would typically be used to transport embryos elsewhere are refusing to do business in Alabama. So not only is it impossible right now for families to continue their IVF care, even if they wanted to go out of state, these transportation companies see too much of a liability, um, in trafficking. If, if, if we're defining an extra uterine, um, blastocyte as 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 a person, um, they could be criminally charged with trafficking if they're taking those embryos across state lines. And so that's a consequence that people are experiencing in the IVF context. But I've also been in touch with OBGYNs who don't know how to manage ectopic pregnancies and what needs to happen with those. And so it's very, very troubling for people. It's very confusing for people. And so what we're having to do on the ground at the ACLU of Alabama is to really contextualize this issue and to help people understand that, yes, there are short-term solutions that might open up IVF as an option again for families. But what we really have to do to get at the heart of this issue is repeal the 2018 constitutional amendment that allowed this decision to happen in the first place.
0: And do you think that that will happen? Can you all repeal the constitutional amendment?
1: Yeah. So Alabama has the longest constitution in the world. It's one of our infamous claims to fame. We have over 900 constitutional amendments in our constitution. So um, the state is very familiar with amending the constitution and with making changes. Um, Right now, legislators on both sides of the aisle are working on bills. Um, Some of them would just address this IVF question. But the other bills would really get at um, the heart of this constitutional amendment. And so what we're hoping is that we will see a bill that comes forward that will bring this back to the voters in November. There is going to be a very big lobby day happening this week. Families and people from across the strait are descending upon Montgomery this week to talk to their legislators. So we're very, very hopeful that the legislators are going to listen to their constituents and make meaningful change here.
0: That's good news to see that people, when mobilized, can come together and and make something happen. Alabama has not necessarily been a beacon of reproductive freedom in the country, you know, even before this ruling came out, even before Dobbs. Um, it seems, however, that pregnant people and those who want to be are under constant attack now from politicians in Alabama. For those who might not be familiar with what reproductive access looks like in the state holistically, could you paint the picture for us? What, what are we living with today?
1: So one of the things that's always a little bit challenging for me to talk about this issue, when we talk about the personal being political, um, this issue is deeply personal for myself and my family. Um, my partner and I have been together for five years. Um, we started trying to have a child about two years ago, so in the midst of Roe being over- overturned. And we've had to make some really difficult decisions about how to do that. Um, My experience, I think, has been indicative of a lot of experiences in the state. I had two miscarriages last year, and I was not able to receive miscarriage care um, during my pregnancies because of the bans um, on abortion and the attacks on reproductive health in the state. And so we are getting outreach from dozens of families who are impacted by this decision, Um, but it's our own staff and myself that's also being impacted in a very, very real way. And so it really motivates us to Get solutions not just for the state but for our own families and what we need to do to be parents.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Allison. I know that when we are working in the advocacy space, sometimes these issues come really close to home because um, we are people too, not just legal or political advocates. So I really appreciate you offering that up and sharing that. I know that it's like a decision that you're generously choosing to make. Every time we see a decision like this come out, that uh, is implicates a variety of facets of our lives or a variety of uh, ways or means or mechanisms of accessing reproductive health care. Um, it's also it's so confusing and it puts everyone into the whole, Apparatus, the whole medical system and all of the support structures into a little bit of disarray and chaos, which is absolutely the point. And I really appreciate you kind of detailing what that means and the lived experiences of people that you've um, encountered through your work and also in your own life. Um, So you named a little bit about what we can do from here and what the ACLU of Alabama is doing from here. Are you hopeful, despite this ruling, that, that the people can come together and um, impact or mitigate the harm that's been done from this ruling, as we've seen similarly in other states when people come together and enact their voices, their democratic voices on uh, their state constitutions? Do you think that something similar could happen in Alabama?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm always hopeful for Alabama. I think that what we've seen with this state over time is that as Alabama goes, so does the rest of the nation. And so we have had some instances where people are looking at Alabama and othering us and saying, that couldn't happen here. Like, that's Alabama. And what we need people to recognize is if it's a threat in Alabama, it's a threat to the rest of the country. And so one of the things that we're really prioritizing and trying to get people to realize is that we have to pay attention to Alabama. That being said, Alabamians are resilient. There are also many organizations, including our own, and the ACLU National Office. We are litigating issues around this. So our attorney general, Steve Marshall, has threatened to charge medical providers and others who provide assistance to those who go out of state for abortion care to charge them criminally with conspiracy. We're litigating that case right now. And so we will continue to litigate this issue in the courts to use whatever mechanisms we can at the legislature to get them to act. Um, But I am hopeful. I think that this is something that we can and will get done.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on at Liberty and explaining what you and your team are witnessing and what you are fighting for and how we can all be a part of it. I appreciate your time, Alison. Thank you so much for highlighting this important issue. Next, I want to bring in... Alexa Colby Molinas, Deputy Director for the ACLU's Reproductive Freedom Project to discuss the national implications of the decision out of Alabama and some of the history of fetal personhood laws in the United States. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to At Liberty.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Alexa, while this ruling marks the first time a court has held that a frozen embryo has legal rights as a person, at least 11 states already had this kind of broad personhood language in their constitution, laws, or policies that affect both their criminal and civil codes. Some states have added fetus into their definition of a person to their state criminal code. How have we seen this personhood language play out in various states? And how has it impacted the real lives of individuals living in those states? What power has it had before this Alabama ruling?
2: That's a really great question because I do think it's really important for people to understand that what happened at the Alabama Supreme Court is really just the latest development in what has been quite a long movement by extremist politicians to expand legal rights for embryos um, and fetuses and to use that to strip people of reproductive autonomy. So as you mentioned, the so-called personhood can really take any number of forms, right? What happened in Alabama recently was the interpretation of a statute that never mentions embryos or fetuses, but they used a different constitutional amendment to influence how they read other statutes. Sometimes, though, we do see laws that are explicitly passed to give legal rights to embryos and fetuses. So, for example, many states have uh, fetal homicide laws, laws that directly relate to um, and create a homicide crime for killing an embryo or fetus. And you asked sort of what impact has it had on people. Well, Alabama has led the country in prosecuting pregnant people well before, you know, this recent decision from the Alabama Supreme Court, which of course is just about IVF. People in Alabama have been prosecuted for continuing their pregnancies while using prescription medication their doctors prescribed for them. In 2019, a woman was prosecuted because she was shot by someone else while pregnant, and the prosecutors said, that because the person shot her in self defense, she was the cause of the loss of her own pregnancy. And so, you know, again, these are the sort of things that can happen when we expand laws in this way, even if people aren't actually thinking about each and every one of these consequences when they do it.
0: Right. And it's, it's very, cl- it's been clear that anti-abortion opponents have used fetal personhood to their aims, for their aims to greater attack um, reproductive freedom. What has the Supreme Court said about personhood as it exists under the Constitution?
2: So when the Supreme Court issued its decision in Roe v. Wade in 1973, it rejected The argument that embryos and fetuses should be considered persons for purposes of the 14th Amendment. And the reason that argument was put before them by those who were opposed to abortion is that if you think about it, if an embryo or a fetus is a person and has the right to life, has the right to equal protection, then the Supreme Court has to order states, all of them, to prohibit abortion. And so I think it's important to recognize that while personhood and and granting legal rights to embryos and fetuses, it's never just going to stop with abortion. It is definitely intimately tied to the anti-abortion movement because anti-abortion politicians see this as a tool. We know that what anti-abortion politicians are doing is trying to push what's happening in Alabama, what's been happening in other states, to push and push and push until it creates a tipping point where they believe that the Supreme Court will ultimately reverse that decision.
0: And while we've seen the Supreme Court say that about personhood as it pertains to the Roe v. Wade ruling, they seemingly dodged addressing personhood again in their Dobbs decision. So they're, at least as of 20, a a year and a half ago, right, they were unprepared to answer that question. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be if it were levied or asked of them again in the future.
2: That's exactly right. They didn't take up the issue in Dobbs, but all that has done is embolden those who want the court to take up the issue to keep pushing. And we know that if the other side is good at anything, it is pushing and pushing and pushing and chipping and chipping away. Yes, yes. Ever
0: since Roe v. Wade, they've been chipping, chipping, chipping away. And, you know, hopefully we will turn the tide and prove that they will, you know, be unsuccessful in their future pursuits. But while this decision we as we understand it is contained to Alabama we've seen conservative legislators copy what they've seen in other states we see this a lot in the uh, attacks on trans healthcare and i think we've also seen this in the reproductive rights um, arena What kind of smoke signal might the ruling out of Alabama send to others across the country who might want to use this ruling as an example to enact more damage? Absolutely.
2: I mean, we know that when it comes to reproductive rights and to stripping us of our reproductive rights, the other side is more than happy to use a playbook. They don't they don't need originality. They are happy to plagiarize. Uh, And, you know, I mean, as you mentioned before, there are plenty of states who already have this so-called personhood throughout their laws in various respects. And that's exactly what happens. One state sees it and tries to copy it and sees what's happened. Already we saw um, just in the wake of this decision, Florida is debating um, amending its wrongful death act to again um, uh, include embryos and fetuses. So the, the reaction there has been immediate. Um, but I also think just as much as they will try to copy what they think could be successful, they are also very much watching the reaction. And they are seeing how upset and angry people are at what happened in Alabama, and they are taking notice. So I think they're watching in two ways. They're watching to see what works, and they're watching to see how long we're paying attention and when it's safe for them to try to get away with this again. So it requires, I think, again, b- b- vigilance from us in making sure that we don't, we don't take the heat off of them, but we can't. Just let them continue to expand legal rights and to give them for embryos and fetuses and think that we'll then just be able to put little band-aids on the consequences that we don't maybe like as much. It's, it's an all or nothing situation. And to that
0: end, you know, obviously we've been t- talking in this ruling specifically about how it impacts IVF. And we've heard a lot of, you've seen all throughout the news, a lot of voices coming out and saying that this is a really dangerous and damaging thing for folks who are trying to build families through that way. But, you know, if we look back at the, uh, the fights that we've had uh, around this fetal personhood language. There were a number of fetal person ballot initiatives that you worked on in the early 2010s that also often sought to sow this kind of confusion in the public. How do those uh, show us that it's not just about attacking abortion or IVF, that there's this kind of greater plan or plot to kind of pull in all of reproductive health care into the mix?
2: Yeah, you know, it really does feel like everything old is new again. And you are exactly right, then. When we saw a spate of these ballot initiatives, again, they all took sort of various different forms, but all generally trying to amend um, statutes or constitutions to extend legal rights to embryos and fetuses. Those The proponents of these initiatives kept trying to just get everybody to think about this is just about abortion. But when you explain to people that it's not just about abortion, it is also about um, access to other forms of reproductive health care. It's about access to contraception. It's about access to IVF. It's about weaponizing the embryo or fetus against the pregnant person right? If an embryo or a fetus has rights, and if you think about it, when someone is pregnant, every act or omission they do has some kind of impact on their pregnancy. What if they can't afford prenatal care? What if they have to work a job where they're on their feet all day? What if they need, you know, their doctor prescribes bed rest, but they literally will lose their home and not be able to feed their children, right? All of these ways that if you give legal rights to embryos and fetuses that can be weaponized against the pregnant person. That's exactly what these laws do. And so when you're able to convey that to people, oftentimes courts would prevent these ballot initiatives from ever even getting on the ballot. Um, Often they just couldn't get the signatures they needed to get them at the ballot. And when it got to the ballot, um, they were often, you know, almost always defeated, including in states that, you know, people might think of as red states, conservative states, where they think people would support this. But, you know, as as we know from what's happening in Alabama, this is not popular anywhere.
0: Alexa, how would you answer someone who says, you know, what? this is in Alabama. It might copy to Missouri, but I live in a blue state. I'm safe.
2: As I you know, was explaining before, the people who are pushing this agenda of personhood, they are not willing to stop within state borders. Just like the people who overturned Roe v. Wade are not content with just trying to ban abortion within their own states. They are pushing for a nationwide ban on abortion, and they are trying to use personhood to do it. And when they get that, if they get that, and I hope they don't, but if they get that, then it's going to affect all of us everywhere. Even if we think that we are somehow immune from these political tides, it is going to affect people wherever they live and it's going to impact everyone's ability to access reproductive health care. So it's really not something where we can just, I mean, we shouldn't do this anyway, but it's not something where um, we could just say that's not my problem because the people who are pushing this are very much trying to make it. Your problem, and if they're successful, then it will be too late. Yeah, thank you for
0: being really clear about that because I think that's really important. Um, it can I, there's so much going on in the world and it's exhausting, but I think it's important just to like be really clear that this has implications for everyone in our country, and uh, it's important that we don't uh, turn our attention. This new ruling out of Alabama comes in addition, speaking of exhausting, to other reproductive freedom fronts that we are currently fighting. This episode isn't intended to dive deep on these fronts. We will be discussing them in the the coming weeks and months. But could you remind us at a high level of the other big fronts that we are fighting on? Yeah,
2: absolutely. They're continuing to chip away. And again, they are really not content um, to just stop at Dobbs because the politicians are not going to be content until they have banned abortion nationwide. In the next couple of months, there are two important cases at the Supreme Court that are addressing um, our ability to access abortion yet again. Uh, So at the end of March, there's going to be arguments um, in a case where a group of anti-abortion um, physicians um, are trying to force the federal government to impose harmful restrictions on mifepristone, which is a safe and effective um, medication that is used in the majority of abortions in this country today. And so just to be clear, they are trying to impose these restrictions on states whose elected representatives, you know, what who Dobbs claimed to respect, the elected representatives have, you know, kept abortion safe and legal and available. And yet that's not enough, right? And so they are now trying to what would essentially, um you know, either restrict or ban medication abortion nationwide. And one of the more galling, I mean, it's all galling, but one of the more galling parts um, of this lawsuit is that the lower courts have relied on junk science in able to try to impose these restrictions. There's another case that's going to be argued in April um, where politicians are once again back at the court trying to throw physicians in jail for providing emergency Abortions. And you mentioned this earlier, right? And I just think it is so telling that we are less than two years from Dobbs and we are back at the Supreme Court desperately trying to fight for the right to get a health and life-saving abortion in an emergency, in an emergency room. This is not a bug. This is a feature. This is what abortion bans are designed to do. And again, politicians really rely on people just sort of of not realizing that and of believing what they tell them. Oh, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, we're never going to come for your birth control. We're never going to come for your IVF. It's, it's disproven at every step. This is, you know, I, I always think of the quote, when people show you who they are, believe them. I think we really need to apply that, um, to anti abortion politicians. Uh, because they are showing us again and again and again. Yeah. Oof.
0: I mean, I have to say, even reading about um, the ruling out of Alabama just sends sent shivers down my spine for sure. Which brings me to, while this ruling is shocking, and especially if you know we aren't as steeped in reproductive freedom as... We are at the ACLU. Um, we can do something to fight back. Um, this isn't the last word here. Um, what's the best way for people who are ready to join you, ready to join Allison, to, to help out and to support
2: well, first thing, it's always good to go to our website, aclu.org um, slash abortion, to just see the latest um, and see how you can immediately plug in. Abortion win and reproductive freedom are win big at the ballot, but you don't have to wait for something to be on the ballot in your state. You can see how what has happened in Alabama has forced politicians on a national stage to have to justify their position. Well, continue to hold their feet to the fire. Even if you don't live in a state um, like Alabama, you know, continue to hold your politicians' feet to the fire. Make sure they never support initiatives, even if they might seem innocuous, um, that are, you know, about extending legal rights to embryos and fetuses. The Alabama Supreme Court, like many state Supreme Courts, is elected. Right? You can pay attention to who's running on the ballot um, for the state Supreme Courts in your state. It doesn't have to be um, an emergency. It doesn't have to be there's something happening in your state right now for you to be prepared to make sure that it never does. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: This has been so helpful, Alexa. Really, really appreciate you
2: taking your time. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad... um, We were able to do this.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate your feedback. Until next week, stay strong. At Liberty is a production of the ACLU, produced by me, Kendall Seesmeyer, and Vanessa Handy. This episode was edited by the folks at Ultraviolet Audio. Genesis Meg is our intern.